Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down with the mountains quaking before you. Those are words from a prayer that we find in, in the book of Isaiah, beginning of chapter 64. The prophet is begging the Lord to intervene in a dramatic way, in a way that makes his power known to fix and set this world aright. And tonight, he does intervene dramatically. Or rather, 2,000 years ago or so, when Christ was born in Bethlehem. Yes, it's true, the birth of our Savior doesn't have the fireworks, the display of God's power and grandeur, uh, his majesty and glory that will accompany Christ's second coming at the end of the age. But what happens at Christmas, what happens tonight, is nonetheless dramatic, spectacular, and mind-boggling. God, eternal, almighty, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is born of the Virgin Mary, conceived in her womb and born of the Virgin Mary. He is true God and true man. He is God, full and entire. and He is fully human, like us in all things but sin. And that means he was born of a woman, that the God who created the universe out of nothing became the most helpless, seemingly helpless of creatures, an infant child. We have all grown up with Christmas, whether you grew up in a devout family or not. The, and the concept is impressed in our minds, this association between two wild polar opposites, the eternal, almighty God and a small infant child. For most of human people, uh, they would have seen this idea throughout history. I mean, like if you want to go back into the ancient world, even the best philosophers like a Plato or Aristotle, they would have scoffed at the idea that the eternal, unchangeable, immaterial, almighty God become a man, first becoming a baby, an infant in his mother's womb. Catholic, uh, British Catholic writer G.K. Chesterton, he wrote about the first Christmas that the hands that made the sun and stars were too small to reach the huge head of cattle in the manger. Bethlehem is a place where extremes meet. And saints and scholars have pondered this paradox of Christmas for ages. And maybe you're thinking that's beautiful to ponder the birth of Christ, but why didn't we get to hear about it in our gospel reading for tonight? Why did we have to have this genealogy where we pound through seemingly pointless name after name rather than proclaim the obvious gospel, which would be Christ's nativity? And I get it, but there is a hidden wisdom in the church offering this is our gospel for the vigil mass. And really, what we see with this genealogy is it connects Jesus to two incredibly important Old Testament figures. It teaches us about him as well. The genealogy shows, yes, he's from the line of Abraham. Who's Abraham? Well, God, to intervene dramatically in this world, first gathered a people together with Abraham. And he promised this man who letter the Hebrews says was as good as was so old that he was as good as dead. That's uh, Hebrews saying that. Says, you will be the father of a great nation. As countless as, as the stars of the sky or the sand on the seashore. 
there was a problem. He was childless, and his wife, Sarah, childless, well beyond childbearing years. So in the immediate aftermath of that promise, it looked ridiculous to say Abraham's descendants would form a vast nation, a nation that would be a source of blessing for all people, God had said. But then God miraculously gave him and Sarah a son, Isaac. But still, one son. One son that out of this great nation is going to uh, flow. And it wouldn't be a smart bet. Yet God keeps his promises. He is faithful. He doesn't forget the assurances he has given them. Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Jacob has a lot of sons. One of them is Judah. By the time Judah dies, Abraham's descendants are not quite yet a nation, but they're well on their way. All the way down to Christ, this descendant of Abraham, who is this source of supreme blessing for all people. The genealogy also makes a big deal about Christ being in the line of David, descending from David. Why is that a big deal? God had promised to David that a son, the fruit of his body, somebody from his line, would sit on his throne for all ages. And unlike Abraham, right, in the immediate aftermath of that promise, things looked to be very good. David and his son Solomon were, on the whole, very good kings. They certainly had their faults. Uh, but they were seen as royal heroes who brought Israel's kingdom to its height. In their time, all 12 tribes of Israel were united. And under Solomon, the kingdom was not only stable, but flourished and prospered, growing wealthy and gaining international influence. But here's the thing about royal lines. It only takes one or two bad kings to screw the whole thing up. And we get several really bad, wicked kings in this genealogy. Rehoboam, Abijab, Joram, Ahaz, Manasseh leads to this Babylonian exile. Israel is completely conquered. And the people from the land of Judah, named after Isaac's grandson, are taken off into uh, captivity in Babylon. There is no longer a descendant of David on the throne, and there won't be from that time on. Had God forgotten his promise? No. What the last section of the genealogy shows is that God continued to protect the line of David even though it was lying dormant in exile. Really, this is Matthew's point here. He's saying Jesus is this descendant of David. He is this king we've longed for. And in Christ, we have an everlasting king, a king that doesn't pass away. But more to the point, what the genealogy shows us is that God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises even when, to our perspective, all seems lost. He keeps his promises despite human failings, despite man's infidelity. God is still faithful, and his providence is still at work. We see that through the twists and turns, the triumphs and tragedies of salvation history, through that whole genealogy, God was at work preparing a people for the moment when he would dramatically intervene by sending his only begotten son to 
be like us in all things but sin to save us. Finally, our gospel shows us how we ought to respond to this goodness of God in the figure of St. Joseph. The tail end of our gospel after the genealogy, it's called the Annunciation of Joseph, right? It tells us Mary and Joseph, they're betrothed, but they don't live together. This means they're married. It's a little different in ancient Judaism. First, you became betrothed. A couple would exchange consent before witnesses, very similar to our wedding ceremonies. They'd be married, but they wouldn't live together for up to a year. The woman would live with her parents. The husband would go prepare a home. Mary is found with child through the Holy Spirit. But there is obviously some interior struggle with Joseph. He doesn't know what to do. He resolves to divorce her quietly so as not to bring her shame. Then an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says, Do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home. Explains that it's by the power of the Holy Spirit she conceives. And then the dilemma is Joseph's. What to believe? Should he trust this dream? Was this really an angel of the Lord or was this his imagination? So much of salvation history depended on Joseph's response to the situation. And he responded with this quiet fidelity, this obedience to the word of God, being faithful to what God had called him to, to being a husband, most chaste spouse of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and a foster father for Christ. And it's in being faithful to what God has called us to, not to be men and women of faith, but also to carry out those duties he's entrusted to us. For many of us, that means being a spouse and a parent, grandparent. To do that, and to do that even when things don't seem to make sense, even in spite of the upheavals of history, despite the dark reality of human sin, to know and believe that God's providence is at work, that our Lord is working out his plan, that he keeps his promises. Let us follow the example of St. Joseph. Let us humbly adore our infant king and serve him in whatever state in life God has given us.